Hello, sports fans. This is Chop Shop Sports College Football Podcast. Joining you today is Brian and Jason. Welcome to today's segment. We're, ta- we're talking conference realignment and NIL. Jason? Yeah, so, you know, let's get right into it. You know, for those of you who are unaware, NIL stands for the name, image, and likeness. And that's at the forefront of many off-season conversations right now. So, by definition, name, image, and likeness are the three components of a person's right of publicity. These are aspects of a person that make them unique, such as their name, image, likeness, nickname, signature, social media account, any symbol, name, or design that's associated with them. Student-athletes' permission is required to use their NIO, and they can require compensation to grant this permission. So, essentially... You know, all those NCAA games of the past, all those jersey signings, all those signatures, all the representation across the board, local advertisement, you know, the list goes on and on. Any association with that school that they can make money from, you should make money too. And that's kind of what's happening here. So, Brian, why is NIL relevant and why are we even bringing this to light at all? Well, it's changed the college football landscape entirely as far as how coaches and programs go about recruiting how they go about where they stand literally in conferences so it's kind of changing the entire landscape it changes how these schools go about their business it changes how players choose the school they're going to it's kind of it's kind of just it's the evolution of college football i don't think it'll ever go back they've opened pandora's box and so i think this is something that that we're gonna have to get used to something we're gonna have to learn about so, so that way we can understand why these decisions are being made yeah, and I mean, we know it hasn't always been this way. This ruling came in 2020, uh, you know, and the rule changed prior um, to the NCAA's new version is that before this, you weren't allowed to see, receive money or benefits um, during your collegiate career. That was a big no-no. That was deemed illegal. And so, you know, now we have all these old athletes that are like, okay, why did this change? What does this mean for us? You know, and a perfect example is former Heisman Trophy winner and USC running back Reggie Bush. Look what happened to him and that entire team. Yeah. He he accepted money. It came to light. Uh, When it was discovered, USC had to vacate their national championship. They had to vacate all their wins. They had to vacate 30 scholarships. And Reggie had to give up his Heisman. You know, it's kind of odd because we we kind of had this this taboo to players being paid if they weren't professionals, right? They were amateur athletes. They were students first. Then you saw all the punishments that went down, like you just covered with that USC program with Reggie Bush. Uh, the things that happened with Jim Trussell in Ohio State with Terrell Pryor and, and you know, signing autographs. I mean, the list goes on and on of some crazy stuff that's happened in the past. That isn't that crazy, you know. That's just how it was treated at the time. Now we're calling it legal. At what point do you give Reggie his Heisman back? Because we've already admitted now that what he did really wasn't that bad. It was just, you know, for lack of a better term, it was ahead of its time. So this is kind of an interesting topic. I don't know how you go back and change everything. But some of these big ones, I think the NCAA could benefit from some PR buzz of just accepting the fact that you know what it wasn't that big a deal reggie bush can have his heisman back you know what let's add back all these records we've taken away from some of these big time players 
because of these little benefits they've received as they should have, as I think collegiate athletes should. I mean, you talk about the revenue they bring in for these colleges, the big contracts these coaches make. I, I think it makes sense that these players see a little bit of that in return. I mean, think about it. They're the face of the program. While the coach may be running the show and the university may be the brand behind it, nobody's putting fans in seats except those players. So why are they not getting any of that action? Well, agreed. <laughs> I guess that's too easy to say that. But, again, I think it's, I think it's some of the innocence of college football that, that people are trying to hold on to, that old school feeling. It's all about school pride. It's all about where you grew up. That's kind of changing, you know, these young kids now. Look at some of these contracts here that, that, that we've seen come out recently. Jalen Rashada, $9.5 Bryce Young, quarterback at Alabama, a little over $3 million. C.J. Stroud, quarterback at Ohio State, a little over $2 million. We're seeing that stuff. And, and what's this deal with this anonymous recruit that we've heard getting a big deal? What's your take on that? Yeah, I mean, his signing for $8 million, both parties are being silent and anonymous, both the university and the, the student. Now, why would that be the case? Why would you want to stay quiet, especially if you're a university handing out cash or the player who's getting paid? I know if I'm in his shoes, I'm shouting to the rooftops, I'm getting paid. Maybe, and this is just a just a shot in the dark here, but maybe – Maybe it was on the recruits' request that he doesn't want people bugging him or his family about money. Um, that he doesn't want to put his family as a, he doesn't want his family to be a target. Maybe back home or wherever they're at. Um, I could see that maybe being the case, but yeah, I mean, we both played college. We definitely didn't play college football. We both played high school football though, and I know at 17, 18 years old. I would be bragging about all the money I'm making if I was C.J. Stroud, if I was, you know, Bryce Young, if I was some of these top five four-star recruits. I, I would never shut up about how, how, how awesome it is to have $5 million at age 18. I mean, plain and simple. If you're the top guys in the country, you're signing for seven-figure deals. If you're that next wave, you're signing for six-figure deals. And, you know, the trickle-down effect from there. If you're in that top 100, you're getting paid without question. You're making tons of money, more than I'll see for a very long time. I'm not, no jealousy there at all, but you know, <laughs> it's well-deserved. These are talented athletes. They bring in tons of money. The revenue is, you know, at least in, in sense and in theory, is going to reflect how they're being paid. And, and, and we're seeing it reflect a little bit on – recruits moving you know the transfer portal is now in effect recruits are committing and decommitting at a higher rate lincoln riley kind of touched on this recently talking about how recruiting doesn't even resemble what we used to do before nil he said in every sense of the word it's different the reality is it's made what's gone on at certain places for a long time it's going to put it out in the open so maybe there are some positives there and that's a different tone than what we've seen from some older coaches the Jimbo Fishers of the world that said we didn't buy our players the the Alabama program led by Nick Saban where every one of their players has a hellcat but they don't want to admit this stuff because they're so used to covering it up you kind of see a different perspective there with Lincoln Riley a younger coach being a little more open about the quote unquote cheating that had been going on previously and let's not count him out. I'm sure he had his fair share of, of uh, under-the-table dealings, you know, closed-door closed, closed conversations that happened. 
And oh, we know sure. this happened across the board. This goes back decades and decades. Players have been getting paid forever. It's just it became real faux pas when the NCAA decided that was illegal however many years ago. But, you know, it's not like it didn't exist. You know, you're completely naive if you believe that everything was clean and, and dandy before the rule change. And what's interesting now is it's, it's, it's almost like college football is becoming like free agency. Like everything revolves around the NIL deals. Every player you get. And I think Lane Kiffin, you, you've got that quote on Lane Kiffin, I think there. What did he say in regards to, you know, the overall roster and how it's made up? Yeah, I mean, he can be directly quoted saying that it's going to, it's not going to be long until every signee at a Power 5 school is on some form of NIL. And that may be coming this year. And he's referring to this coming uh, college football season right now. Uh, you know, we're seeing it take place now. People are putting in the big money, the big, big money for the big recruits. You know, if you're not shelling out, they're not coming. Yeah. And, and that's where, that's where, you know, things start to kind of segue into conference realignment because conference realignment is being driven by money. Two big programs everyone's talking about, or the two conferences, I should say, the SEC and the Big Ten. You know, out of the five power conferences, those two are the only ones that look to be safe, and it's because of their TV deals. You want to touch on that real quick? Yeah, so, I mean, the two TV, the TV deals that are to come um, – both prime for a 2024 start date. Uh, the SEC signed a deal with ESPN for $300 million annually over 10 years. Now that's a $3 billion contract we're talking about, people. Uh, the SEC games are going to have the full rights are to ESPN to, ho- to show every single uh, SEC game. But now prior to this deal, the spotlight was shared with CBS, and CBS had a guaranteed once one, one game a week under their network. Now – well, how this was working is that this is a tremendous amount more money as opposed to splitting it where CBS was only being able to pay out in the deal with ESPN 55 million to its members. Now it's up to $68 million. The same thing goes with the big 10. The big 10 hasn't firmed up their contract quite yet, but with the addition of USC and UCLA, we're going to see what they worked out. I'm going to ballpark. It's going to be right around those same figures. There is some real powerhouses and tons of money to be had there too. And they've worked out the timing just as perfect to line up with the SECs in the 2024 start. Now with Fox as their majority partner and this new rework deal, totally expect to see ESPN, CBS, and ABC to try to jump in, especially since CBS lost out on the SEC sweepstake. So more money could be even had there with more, more networks trying to join in. Yeah, and you know what's interesting is this is not the start of conference realignment. This is more like a bigger, badder version of what we've seen over the past two decades. Uh, If we go back, just the conference realignment that's taken place since the year 2000, uh, we watched a conference dissolve in front of our eyes. And it's funny because that conference, and this is going to come back to a point we're going to make, that conference was arguably the best conference in college basketball. That was the Big East. They lost, in 2004, Miami and Virginia Tech to the ACC. In addition, the very next year, they lost Boston College to the ACC. Losing Miami and Virginia Tech, not the two biggest college basketball programs, but two big football programs that anchored the Big East financially. Because that's where the money is. That's where some of these conferences are running into trouble now. 
And if you look at it, all of these conferences or all of these um, moves by, by schools in realignment, whether you go back to 2004 or you go all the way up to today, they're all jumping up to bigger conferences that are going to pay them more. The ACC was a bigger deal overall because of football than the Big East. You go to 2011, Nebraska left the Big 12 to join the Big 10, a bigger conference. Utah and Colorado left the Big 12 to join the Pac-12 at the time was paying people more money. 2012 even, Texas A&M, kind of a big blow to a huge rivalry with Texas. They left to go to the SEC and Missouri tagged along with them. SEC, obviously a much bigger conference than the Big 12. So the Big 12 was kind of in disarray at that point. Again in 2012, West Virginia, TCU, they leave. West Virginia was in the Big East. I think TCU was – they might have been the Big East or somewhere else. But they joined the Big 12. That was a step up for both programs. Syracuse and Pitt, followed by Louisville, all left the Big East, and that was the death of the Big East. 2012, 2013, 2014, right around there, the Big East died, and it became the AAC – and they recalibrated around being a second-tier football conference, basically, because they've just lost three of their best basketball programs, and they'd already lost two of their best football programs a decade earlier in Miami and Virginia Tech. The last wave of college football realignment was topped off with Maryland and Rutgers joining the Big Ten, and now we're in part two of realignment. Most recently, we've got four big moves going to the Big 12 as they try to salvage their conference. We got BYU, Cincinnati, who just made the college football playoff. Houston, who's been a decent group of five school for the past decade. And now UCF, the self-proclaimed but very wrong national champs of, what, 2017? I then might we've got knowledge one year. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they're, they're – ah, I don't know what's going on in Orlando. Then you got uh, – with the Big Ten, you got USC and UCLA. The Big Ten expanding their footprint. Going literally, literally to the West Coast, the very southwestern portion of the United States, to grab two of the bigger programs in the Pac-12, and now the Pac-12's on life support. And then you got the SEC taking literally the only two programs worth anything in the Big 12 in Oklahoma and Texas. They'll be joining the SEC in 2025. So really, what happened? Not too dissimilar to what we saw two decades ago. The problem is it's consolidated more from there. We saw the Big East dissolve after the first realignment. Now we're watching the Pac-12, the Big 12, and the ACC scratch and claw. Only one of them has a chance of surviving, in my opinion. But the rich got richer because the Big 10 and the SEC have the money to offer these big brands that want to continue to compete with the best of the best. I mean, let's just think about it. Uh, And, you know, this is coming straight out of Forbes. Prior to the Texas and Oklahoma move that's to come, the most valuable brands in college football, seven of the top 15 are in the SEC. With Texas and Oklahoma, the number becomes nine out of 15. And before the move, nine out of the top 20 most profitable football programs in the country were also in the SEC last year. With the new additions, now that number becomes 11 out of 20. Everyone knows the SEC is where the money is, and to quote them, it just means more. But what they really meant is it just means more money. Yeah. Because we already knew that Texas 
was at the top of the food chain as far as money brought in every single year. Every year they've been at the top and it's not even close. Yep. Yep. That's that Texas oil money. And now following these moves, you're going to see the other big schools on the outside looking in start to get jittery. They're going to get beat. They're, they they want to jump ship. They don't want to stay in the ACC. I'm talking about Clemson, Florida State, North Carolina, and Miami. Those are arguably the four biggest schools left out. I'm not counting Notre Dame because I think we all assume they're going to eventually join the Big Ten. I don't think the SEC is an option for them. But because of that, if and when Notre Dame joins the Big Ten, that's going to force the SEC, in my opinion, to try and grab a couple of these schools, a Clemson, a Florida State, a Miami, a North Carolina. These are the brands that are going to bring the SEC more money, and it's going to bring those schools more money. So I think that's something that's going to be on the lookout here. It's something that's kind of, you know, I think something's going to happen. It's got to happen soon because when you talk about the revenue gaps, there's no way these, these big programs are going to survive when the Rutgers and the Vanderbilts of the world are making twice as much money as them every year. So we can definitely see some other changes start to happen in the Big Ten as well, you know. With USC and UCLA, I mean, the next foreseeable targets for them would obviously be Oregon and Washington. I mean, if you're going that way, might as well continue to take the top talent there, too. Now, from an SEC fan perspective, I love seeing the continued dominance here. We're adding big money and big programs. Those of that have had historical significance and those who have had success of recent, um, you love to see it. All of that will definitely carry over, you know, starting into this and the you know, foreseeable future and these early on years. I know. So all this new money, it's going to mean a great thing for those who have it. Uh, you know, the rich get richer, the poor are going to get poorer. The rich are going to be able to afford better facilities, higher paying staff positions. They're going to be able to afford to pay for better players. They're going to be able to basically leave everybody in the dust that isn't able to keep up. Um, we're definitely going to see that take place with the SEC. We're definitely going to see that take place with the uh, big 10, um, you know, the ACC is kind of stuck in their own way right now, their own network deals that they can't seem to get out of right now. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, as far as that goes, they're, uh, they're in no man's land as far as TV money goes. And uh, like, like we talked about, if they don't jump ship, it's, you know, it's join or die at this point. I think it's going to exponentially grow way too fast as far as money coming into these two conferences that no one's going to be able to keep up. I agree 100%. And if you're a brand like Florida State, if you're a brand like Clemson or Miami, you, you can't afford to sit by and let these schools just lap you the amount of money they make on an annual basis. The, the The college football landscape is changing. You can no longer get by on just being a great recruiter, regardless of your facilities, regardless of the money you have in your program. You got to be able to afford these players. The times have changed. The players are going to get paid. And you got to woo them because now everyone's in an arms race to have the best facilities. You need the money to provide those. So this is an entirely different world of college football. I don't necessarily think it's a bad one. And I kind of want to get your take on this. How do you think this affects the rivalries and, and the schedules moving forward with some of the games that we'll see on a weekly basis? I mean, you know, in years past, we've seen this, you know, since the year 2000, we've lost a bunch of rivalries that have taken place. You know, I think this hurt a lot of people at, you know, early on when 
you know, it was a gut check to find out, oh, we're not going to, it's not really going to matter anymore. These, these matchups aren't going are to be watered down. Now, a few of those that we've kind of lost in the past are that Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, uh, Pitt versus West Virginia, Missouri versus Kansas, Colorado versus Nebraska, Maryland versus Virginia, and the Holy War, Utah versus BYU. You know, whether it's the new changes, the old changes, those are a lot of the rivalries we've lost in the past. Now, on the flip side, we're going to see some great new rivalries emerge out of these conference realignments. That I'm really excited for. The other piece of that is we're going to get some renewal of some old rivalries past. We're going to see Texas and Arkansas reignite that flame, and we're going to see Texas and Texas A&M battle over the state of Texas again. Now, it's going to be great because that's one rivalry, A&M versus Texas, kind of big brother, little brother in the state of Texas. That'll be fun to get that one back. Obviously, that was lost back in 2012 when A&M made the jump to the SEC. It'll be nice to see both those teams competing for national championships, hopefully, because Jimbo Fisher's got A&M right now in a better spot than Texas is. So you got to think that eventually the money in Texas joining the SEC, I think it's going to be like an adrenaline shot to the to the football program at Texas. They've already got money. Now you're just putting more, and it might almost be too much to not succeed. So I think it's going to be interesting. I think it's really going to be fun to see some of these new rivalries pop up and you're an SEC guy. You're a Florida guy. As a Florida fan, as a fan of the SEC, what, what out of the schools remaining, what is one or two schools that you would love to see join the SEC that you think would make it more fun for you as a football fan? Oh, I'd love to see FSU come in and just get absolutely stomped week in and week out. <laughs> they've been talking. They've been talking that talk for years that they can hang in the SEC. And all right, do it. Come join. We'll see how you fare. You know, if you end up like the Vandys of the world, you know, I'm I'm not going to hold it against you. You know, you stood on the outside looking in for a while. You finally joined. You know, props to you if that's how it plays out. But uh, honestly, I'm going to be more excited to see them get stomped out. I All do right. like seeing the competitive game there. Uh, and I'd love to see them, you know, have back and forth with Florida for years to come. But, you know, it's a win in both boats. I'm just going to say – it is impressive that Florida and Florida state are as even programs over the last 40 years, considering Florida state's made much less money in a much more inferior conference. So, but yes, the the schedule would make a big difference. You're no longer playing wake forest and Syracuse and Boston college. And also might add Florida state's not even beating those teams right now, but you're not playing Duke. You're not playing Boston college. You got to go play. Arkansas, who's become a good football program. You got to go play Georgia. You got to play AM. You got to play Auburn and Bama and LSU at some point. And even Tennessee. Tennessee's kind of made a comeback lately. You're going to have to step it up if you join this conference. I, as an FSU guy, would love to join the SEC. I think there's some more fun, natural rivalries that can come from it. But at the same time, too, you got to you got to look at some of the other moves that could happen. I, I think Miami is a threat to join the Big Ten. I could see the Big Ten trying to go hey, we got L.A., we've got the Midwest, we've got parts of New York, like the Northeast with Rutgers right there near New York City. Why not go get Miami? Now we're covering all corners. And if you go get Oregon, you literally have all four corners of the country. Oh, man, so, could you imagine how brutal the travel would be amongst that conference? Yes, yes, that would be that would be something. That would be something to travel. Imagine Rutgers going and playing a game in – at UCLA, I mean, or Oregon. I mean, it's it would be brutal. Miami going to Oregon, that, that's that's tough. It's tough travel. That's where I think the SEC really should just 
if I'm them, I'm calling Clemson. I'm calling Florida State tomorrow. I'm adding them as quickly as I can. You now have a stranglehold on the heart of college football, which is the Southeast. So, I, I, it's exciting. It's exciting to see some of the. I, I would really love it. It'd be fun to see some new rivalries evolve. And at the same time, like you mentioned with A and M or Texas and Arkansas, even some of these old rivalries kind of come back and, and, and make a difference now. Yeah, I mean, with the addition of let's say Miami too, you know, the battle for the state of Florida becomes way more significant. It carries way more weight. Stakes are way higher across the board when you control the entire Southeast as far as one conference goes. And that would be a lot of fun, too, because the three in Florida, I mean, that's one of the most dominant uh, from like the mid 80s through the early 2000s. The state the college football was run by the state of Florida between Florida, Florida State, Miami. I mean, you were seeing national championships. You were seeing Heisman Trophy winners. Almost every game had national implications between those three schools. So it would be really fun because you no longer have that advantage if you're Florida of the SEC. It's now it's all even playing field. It's all, hey, we're all in the SEC. Which school go? And so that's where it gets kind of fun. I, I think it would be a lot of fun for fans. I think it obviously college football is changing. I don't necessarily think it's for the worst. I kind of like it. But that's also because I'm coming from, a as a Florida State fan, I'm coming from the ACC. So really anything is better than what I got now. Yeah, there's definitely tons of upside if, you know, you're in that Power Five, you're in one of those big brand schools. But those little guys, they're going to get left behind. And, you know, that competition of that any given week kind of saying that any given week somebody could lose, you know, that kind of goes away, both in conference yeah. realignment and the NIL. Um so, you know, we're losing kind of some of that little that little magic to college football that, you know, every week could be a mystery, but you know, we'll see how things shake out. That that could still be the that still could be the scenario we see. Now I I'm gonna be a realist and I don't actually foresee that happening, but you know, who's to say I can't see in the future quite yet. Well, we're really excited. College football is only a few weeks away. We're we're in fall camp, so we're counting down the days. We got a good week, week zero, actually. And then we'll have week one with some great games. Don't forget to follow us here on Chop Shop Sports 1 on Twitter, Chop Shop Sports on Instagram. Next week it's for our podcast on college traditions, where we're going to talk through what we feel are the top traditions in college football.